Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love. Father God, we pray now as we settle down that you would clear our minds of all the clutter, help us to have a heart that can understand spiritual truth. We thank you, God, for your presence here. You called us together. These are exciting days for your people. We always thrive when the pressure goes up, uh, the grace of God comes down and helps us. God, you've been so faithful to us, God, and now we pray that these words would encourage us to uh, live closer to you, to be more of a blessing to you and to others around us, to have an effective and productive life. So we have no regrets at the end. Say, I just should have listened better. I should have lived a more serious Christian life. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So just help us to take these words to heart because these are pretty serious <laughs> truths here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Most of you realize that we are in Matthew chapter 19, and now Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He will not go back to the Galilee region until he's resurrected from the dead. And so they have bid farewell there to Galilee, and now they're headed to Jerusalem and he's been telling his disciples over and over again, lest they think that, that it's an accident that he ends up on the cross. He says, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. Over and over again, he says this. We are headed to Jerusalem that I can accomplish that for which I've been sent. To die for the sins of the world. To suffer. And he tells them that I'll be handed over to the Romans. I will be beaten I will be mocked and flogged and spat upon and they will put me to death but on the third day I will rise. That's been the plan since before there was an earth. The lamb had been slain from the foundation of the world in Revelation chapter 13. And so yeah, he's headed to Jerusalem and along the way Matthew has been so faithful to record everybody comes in contact that is part of the gospel. Uh, In other words, everything that is said, everything he says, all the people he meets and their problems, their issues, uh, it's how we learn about who God is, what he requires, what the gospel is, what, what God is like and how we could uh, please him and live uh, and, and benefit from the abundant life he came to give us. If we're not living it by his word, then you know what? It's not going to be abundant. It's going to be abundantly problematic. To do life your own way and not by the owner's manual, uh, that's frustrating indeed. Amen? So the next few paragraphs, we run into two 
uh, people of sorts, uh, two incidents, I should say, that are back-to-back, which most people don't see as related, but I see, and commentators suggest, that uh, the Holy Spirit lets Matthew know this is, these are two events that preach one truth from different opposite angles. And so the first incident, very famous, the moms and dads are excited to bring their little ones uh, to Jesus, that he would just simply lay his hand on their babies, their toddlers, and bless them. The disciples not having it. They think this is inappropriate, so Jesus has to rebuke them uh, yet again and put them in their place. That's the first incident. And most people say, okay, that's a separate incident. And now this seemingly unrelated thing that happens right at that same time, the second incident, a wealthy young man, we call him the rich young ruler, he comes and he bows down before Jesus with a question. He wants to know, what do I have to do to get to heaven? It's a pretty pertinent question, I would say. I want to live forever. What do I need to do, good teacher? And it's a quite, quite the interesting exchange, is it not? And uh, what a wonderful conversation. But it leaves the disciples a little bit like that because they're amazed at the answer and... Uh, They're astonished as usual. Two intriguing encounters back to back with two great truths, two great takeaways. And we're going to read through both of them. We'll only concentrate on the first one this week and the second one next week. But I want to read them together to see if you can see why they're back to back and what God is trying to say, How? what kind of a common denominator they have. See if you can figure it out, all right? So here we go. We'll dive in with the kids first. Verse 13, then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those moms and dads, and Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he blessed them and he went on from there. Now, now, a man comes up to Jesus and asks, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what's good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good who does good, right? If you want to enter life, now Jesus is going to try to use the law to get him to see he can't do it on his own. He needs to, he needs help. He needs a savior, but he's not going to respond, right? So Jesus is going to say, okay, let's try the law first. And he brings the law. He says, there's only one who who does good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. And Jesus wants him to say, No, I can't do that. Well, no, he doesn't say that. First, he wants to know, well, which ones? <laughs> the man inquires, you know, because I mostly do it, you know, kind of, sort of. Jesus replies, do not murder, don't commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and I'll throw this one in, love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, and Luke tells us, from boyhood, from my childhood, kept them. Done, check. Anything else? That's what he's saying. What do I lack? I mean, I'm perfect. I keep the Ten Commandments. What else you got for me, Jesus? He says, okay, you want to play the game? Uh, If you want to be perfect, then 
Go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. (laughs) Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, amazingly, in the first scenario, the blessing of being helpless and dependent, those are the ones quoting Jesus who are going to get to heaven. Here we have a guy, the curse of affluence. And he's got everything he needs, so he doesn't need to call out. Right? And so now we have the, the hindrance, the hardship of sufficiency. And you have the blessing, on the other hand, of dependence and need and insignificance that forces you to the place, the posture of opening up and saying, hey, I can't do this like a child knows. Right? And so we can, uh, the screens can go blank there for a while, for a minute, and we get situated. And as I told you, we are going to head uh, to the, uh, the kids first. And then next week, uh, we'll get to the guy with a caravan of camels loaded with stuff. And that stuff, it could be a blessing. Nothing wrong with stuff. It's the love of money. Not money is the root of all evil. The love, it's always about the heart. It's never about the, the number in the bank account. It's about the motivation of the heart, always. And it's just so much harder to be spiritual or to sense our desperate need when we got it made and we got everything. Everybody loves us. We have no problems. You know, we just don't need to get... And then take everything away and suddenly you get out of bed and you're on your knees. God, I need to seek you, right? The blessing. The blessing of neediness, uh, of knowing you need help. That's a blessing. And it puts you in a place where when you hear the gospel, you reach out, you ask God, you get saved. That's the blessing there. So there'll be more. There'll be Heaven will be populated. Long story short, heaven will be populated by those who were, according to life, losers. They came to God saying, I have nothing to bring to you. I can't save myself. I'm 100% dependent on you. I bring nothing except brokenness, sin, and death. Save me. Boom. That's why he says, look at a kid. They know they're needy. They know they can't do it. And so that's what's going on with one and two. So this week, as I said, the blessing of being aware of your helplessness. Helplessness isn't going to save you. and You're not going to get saved and nothing about poverty makes you better than anybody else. It just opens you up. And it's an asset to you spiritually speaking. When you're hurting and you're in need and you've been humbled, spiritually speaking, it's an asset. It doesn't always feel like one. And just the opposite. Just when we think we're blessed and everything's good, that's a liability. Nothing wrong with it per se. It just kind of can lull your soul into this place where you think you're not as desperate as you truly are for your next breath. You don't make your heart beat. God is the one who says, okay, beat again. And so we're, we are way more. Jesus said this. 
John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yikes. But we don't realize that until really uh, some of the props are pulled out. And, and that's when it's time that it's an asset and a blessing. And so we're going to take a look now at that. And so why don't we take a look at the text? We'll start with the kids there. Now, it's fatter, isn't it? Now, you know why? Because I went through, Mark is speaking of babies. I love you. We love you. <laughs> it was right on cue. I said, let's go with the babies. And she's like, that's me. <laughs> that's awesome. So what I did, I went to Mark and Luke and took little uh, more details packed it in there so we get the fuller, richer account. Okay. Then little children and babies, they're infants. The word infants is used by Mark. And brought to Jesus to place his hands on them to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus called the children to him. That's another addition. Jesus calling the kids. Hey kids, come on. (laughs) Love that. Uh, and and, uh, said, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little kid, you're never getting in. So Jesus takes the kids in his arms, beautiful picture, and when he places his hands on them and blesses them, then he goes on from there. Mr. Rich Young Ruler is waiting in line to talk to the master. And so for now, our attention focused on the blessing of being helpless like a child. That's the deal. And so Jesus is saying right up through, right out of the gate, Uh, Heaven belongs to such as these, meaning these kinds of people who know and accept their neediness, their humble situation, that they can't make it in life without God. They're more prone prone to call out to him. That's just really simple. And, And Jesus said, it's the only kind of people you'll find in heaven are those who humbled themselves, who abandoned their own achievements as far as it goes to getting into heaven and pressing God or meriting his favor or love by how good you are, how smart you are, how beautiful you are. Fill in the blank. That's why Jesus had to die on a cross. If we could do it on our own, if, if we were able to do it, then the cross of Christ would be in vain for nothing. So he had to do it for us. And so let me just show you biblically that God helps those who help themselves. I get what you're saying, but it's totally false, biblically speaking. God, in fact, helps those who cannot help themselves. And why can't you regarding heaven? Regarding heaven, here's four scriptures to consider of why we have to be like kids and know that we have to depend on him. We, oh, here they are. Ro, uh, Romans 5. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, means without power, Christ died for the ungodly. So before we came to know him, he put us in a group called the ungodly who were powerless. And you're powerless to change it. You're ungodly without any ability to change your status. 
The second one, I already quoted it. Apart from me, Jesus saying, you can do nothing. And if you can do nothing, that means you can't do anything uh, when, <laughs> when it comes to getting into heaven. Uh, you know, nothing is a pretty big word. You know what it means in the Greek? It means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> And then thirdly, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. Now, I tell people all the time, well, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, comparatively speaking, I'd give you the shirt off my back and blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, the Bible says you're dead in your sins until you come to know him and you're raised to new life and born from above. So it's not about good or bad getting into heaven. It's about are you alive or dead? And if you don't know Christ, the Bible says you're dead. So how can a dead person get to heaven? You're going to need a hand. You're going to need a hand. Ah, Moving on, last one. All have turned away, all have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one, which Jesus will tell the rich man. Why are you calling me good? There's only one. Are you catching on? I'm the Lord. I'm God. I'm the only one good. So... uh, I hope you're using that in the right way. And so he says, no, there's not one single, spiritually speaking, from heaven's point of view, morally perfect, good person, because we're all stained. We're all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Therefore, we have to recognize, like a child, oh my, left to myself, I will die. I can't do, I don't have what it takes to sustain my life. That's it. That's what you say. Look, look at the kid. He trusts. He knows. He's in a humble place. And so he's able to receive better than some adults. We can go back to the text now. So if you're hoping to climb the corporate ladder, you just may do so. Work hard. God's blessing. Boom. But if you're hoping to climb the spiritual ladder to get yourself into heaven... You, your sin has disqualified you from rung number one. You can't even lift your leg up to step on that first step because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And another verse that says our righteousness to him is like filthy rags. He's just, and is he being mean? He's being loving. He's saying, hey, let me assure you that I'm your only hope. And so if you're hoping in your own self-righteousness, your own goodness, your own abilities, then you're lost. So he has to come at us in every possible angle and say, no, 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 insufficient, inadequate, lost, helpless, hopeless, sinful, corrupt. And then we're like, yeah, okay, we get it. (laughs) But we don't. Oh, man's ego and pride to tell a guy, to tell a guy, you can't do it. You've got to bow the knee. You've got to cry out like a little kid and say, God, help me because I'm a loser. I got nothing. Jesus says, it's the only way you'll be saved. There's no such thing as a person. You will never meet somebody in heaven that says, you know what? I was a pretty good guy. I got in here because you know what? How much I gave in my life? You know how good I was? How many shirts off my back I gave and all of this stuff? 
And why is it we always say the shirt off the back? I don't know. But we always, that seems to be the ultimate, I guess. And so, yeah, every human being from heaven's point of view is dead man walking. Just waiting for the appointment to die once and then stand before God to be judged for the life that you didn't birth yourself, you don't sustain yourself, you didn't decide to be here. You're here on loan. God thought you up and said, you know, I'd like one of these people. And he made you, and he blessed you, and he gave you a life. And at the end of the loaned life from God, he calls us in and says, well, how'd it go? Right? All right, I'm getting excited. How about you guys? <laughs> All right, so notice, it, I want to point this out, and you don't get this if you don't go through the scriptures. Look at the beauty. What was, what was the last teaching? This incident with moms and dads coming with their babies comes on the heels of a teaching on marriage. How God made two versions of his image and glory. A male and a female. And to quote from last week, for the reason of joining them together as one. Two different genders to come together to form one body that honors God, and when he blesses the sanctity of marriage, and he's, been, he's teaching that, you've got the nuclear family, now the gift of, of that union comes, and children are called gifts in one, Psalm 137. So they're bringing, you, you see the nuclear family, as God intended the core, we call it nuclear because it's the core structure, foundation of society. Because God made it that way. God said, here's the foundation. Man, woman, together, children. That's the foundation. Stone. Genesis 1 and 2, right? No wonder the devil has taken aim at it for generations to destroy it, to dismantle it, because God loves it, and it's designed. And if you split that up to smithereens, what do you have? What do you have left? You don't have something that resembles what God intended, that's for sure. And so, yeah, this beautiful thing in the presence of moms and dads and marriage and all of that teaching, they're saying, hey, here's our kids. We did what you said. We got together. <laughs> we, we were fruitful and multiplied, right? And here they are. They want Jesus to lay hands on them. And so now he says, uh, let them come to me. Don't hinder them. Now, Officially, that to just a small form of that uh, was in the baby dedication. The Jewish people had a baby dedication. No, no baptisms of children anywhere in the Bible, but dedication services. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 2 was taken as an infant. Here he is, <laughs> an infant that has been poured into God himself, and he is presented according to custom and Deuteronomy, the Bible, to be presented in a baby dedication. They get the baby's name officially, and he is offered, and she is a, would be offered to God and given back to the God who gave the, the birth in the first place. And, and uh, C.A. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, said, he, notice Jesus didn't baptize them, but he dedicated them. He blessed them. That's in keeping with the idea. Our Catholic friends, they believe that you're born in original sin, that babies are damned, and that when you baptize them, you save them. 
Now, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that children, if they die, they go to heaven. King David said <laughs> that uh, when his baby boy died, he said, oh, well, I'll never see him again. Well, that is, he will not come to me, but I will go to him. Because he existed. Uh, this, this is how it is. If you're under the age of accountability, and only God knows when that is, uh, when a child or a disabled person lacks the ability to make a cognitive, rational decision about life and death forever, God says, that free pass, man. Come on, you didn't have the faculties. You didn't have the equipment. You know, and so we bless them when we bring them for his blessing, I should say. And he says, it's in command form. Bring them to me, don't hinder them. And boy, let me, let me assure you, that's a wider application for moms and dads and grandparents or anybody with a child. We'll start with the child, but it even has more significance, as we'll see. And so... Uh, how do you bring a child to Jesus? How do you not hinder them? Because that's the command, and it's good, and it's, it's, upon, it's over all of us, all right? Well, let me show you. We bring them to Jesus through teaching them the Bible. Um, Deuteronomy, right? These commandments I give you today to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Impress them. In prep, bring them out. <laughs> Have a scripture box on the table. Somewhere along the line, if you're going to impress them, we don't even say them. You know, some families, it's hard. It's hard. Life gets going. Everybody gets up at different times. I know it's hard. It goes to bed. Impress them on your kids. Talk about them when you sit at home with them, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now, the Pharisees wear things called phylacteries. To this day, if you go to Israel, you can wear one at the temple. You rent them out, right? They strap the Orthodox rabbis to this day. They wear this verse in a box on their forehead, tied to their forehead. Why? This verse. They take it literally. You know what this verse means? Keep God's commands front and center on your mind. That's what it means. And so they tie the verse onto their foreheads while they're killing the Son of God. This verse is hanging on their heads. It's more important to get the verse in your heart than on your forehead. Amen. All right. And write them on the door frames of your houses. And to this day, they're called mezuzahs. And there's a little thing on Orthodox Jews' doorways. We didn't have one. My dad was a renegade. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you put it on your doorpost, and it looks like a scroll of the, the Ten Commandments, you see. But he didn't want them on the doorframes. He wanted them on the doorframes of our hearts, right? So that, yeah. So this is where it starts, teaching and exposing them as soon as possible to bring our kids, listen, you put them in every conceivable way that you think, if I put them in this place, this posture, they're closer to having the hand of God touch and bless them and connect with them. And that starts from day one with the dedication and all of this stuff. We can go back to our verses. So 
Yeah, teaching them how to pray, praying at night. It's just a joy, even with our little ones, our little uh, grandson and our granddaughter, uh, just teaching them new songs and all of these kinds of things. This, you're putting them in a place where Jesus can touch them, modeling a Christ-centered life. If you live like Christ is really among you in your family, he's near to them. And one of those exchanges could be when he takes his hand and puts it on them. You just never know. But if he's not in the house like he lives there too, you know, I had a pastor friend who was always telling his kid, Dad, 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 can we do this? Can we do this? And I'd always notice he'd say, Have you asked your Heavenly Father? Always pushing them to consider there's somebody else here. Get close to him. Youth retreats and Sunday school and Awana where they're memorizing, those are secondary to your responsibility as parents, right? But praise God that there's uh, supplemental help like that where they're memorizing the scriptures in one of those days. One of those days, like a junior high girl a junior high girl who went to church on her own. Her dad and mom split when she was six, and she started walking herself to the Baptist church on the corner by herself. And Jesus touched her, you see. And she grew up to marry a pastor. Uh, I've lost my place. So now, now listen. <laughs> bringing them to church, bring them to church. Come hell or high water, you bring them to church. A crisis is in the world. We go to church more during crises, right? Now you know. I remember Pepsi. I was working at Pepsi in the city. The kids were four, six, and eight, and Pepsi changed my schedule and gave me four tens over the weekend. I said, I can't do that. They said, well, then you don't have a job. And I said, well, I go to church on Sunday. And I said, there's a law that says you have to bend over backwards to let me go to church. Now, I was speaking in faith. <laughs> and they said, well, OK, I didn't know about that law. And I, I said, if you can get your work done, then yeah, come in, clock out, go to church, and then come back and get your work done on Sunday. I said, thank you. I get home. They get into the car, my kids. I'm in my blue polyester. <laughs> you know how humbling that is? I wear that blue polyester with the little stripes. Yeah. And I said, yeah, it was a good place for me <laughs> to learn humility. you know. And so there I was, the Pepsi man. I was getting in the car with my kids. And I said this. I'm backing out of the driveway. And I just blazed this into their heads. What is daddy teaching you? Daddy's teaching you that. <laughs> No matter how hard it is, you go to church. No matter how hard it is. Kids, say it. Say it now. <laughs> no matter how hard it is, <laughs> we go to church. We go to church. All right. What is it with the R sound? They all have trouble with that. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple churches ago, we had a sweet Christian family. Sweet. Just didn't think much of church. They'd come every other month. It wasn't a big deal. They always say, "Oh, something came up. Something came up. Oh, we got a soccer game. Oh, you know, oh, always." The junior high, the high schoolers. You know, a few years went by, 
And the dad's talking to me on the rare occasion that he was in church. And he said, you know, I don't know what's up with Sally. She loves it down there. One thing we got a trouble, trouble with is she won't go to church. She doesn't go to church. She doesn't think it's a priority. It's like, and I'm like, you know what, Dad? Dad, it wasn't a priority. Remember when the jello was setting, when the concrete wasn't all the way cemented? You had the opportunity to train up a child in the way they should go, that in the end, generally speaking, it's a general, broad, generally speaking, all things being equal. It'll be hard for that person to leave the faith, but not impossible. Because there are some people who did everything right. Nobody's without sin and nobody's without falling short. No parent, including us. Totally. Everybody's got to find their own Jesus. They can't, these little kids that we're talking about, they can't find mommy and daddy's Jesus. They got to find their own Jesus, and sometimes they do. But if they're going to drift away and go down the path that leads to destruction, let it be in spite of your good efforts, not, in sp- not because of your lack of good efforts. Let's put it that way. Amen? Amen. All right. So the disciples have a bad attitude. Uh, they're children of their age. I'm not even going to tell you what Rome and Roman, the Roman <laughs> Empire their thoughts about kids. If you, you don't want to have kids, you know, whoops, you got pregnant. I'll let the, let the baby be born. Uh, seriously, terrible, terrible. Uh, you didn't want a girl? Oh, terrible ways. Uh, children were just like whatever, fetal tissue. They're just tissue, right? The same idea. The same devil was working then as he's working today to, to invalidate these little image bearers of the most high God is what they are, right? And so their attitudes were, <laughs> they're just kids. So they, they're going to go ballistic. They think they're protecting Jesus from an unnecessary hassle of dealing with screaming and crying and fussing and squirming and drooling and silliness and all of this. But Jesus is the one who says, hey, kids, come over here. And the kids come over and go, want to play hide and seek? And the, and, and the disciples are like, no, he doesn't. He's got important things. He's got people important, like the rich guy waiting over there with the caravan of camels. There, he's important, but you and you overindulgent parents, what kind of husband to come thrusting your kid into the arms of the Son of God? Peter's like, oi vey, this has got to stop, <laughs> right? Can't these parents figure out Jesus has got more important things to do, right? And so they rebuke the moms and dads. The word rebuke is very strong there. It's the same word that Jesus does with the demons when he rebukes the demon. So you know there was some passion. There was some righteous indignation. And Jesus then becomes, and I quote, indignant. The word means angry. It means upset. It means highly frustrated, like on edge, because they're misrepresenting him. He's calling them, and they're like, Rebuking the parents. 
in the same scene as if they see Jesus calling. Not only that, my friends, a couple chapters ago, they're fighting about who's greatest. Who's greater? Who's the greatest person in the whole kingdom of God? And he takes a six-year-old. This is why he's indignant. Like, you guys are so slow. I just told you, I picked up a six-year-old and said, look at him. You see his dependence, his trust, his easy trust, his, his lack of the knowledge of deep sinning. This is the kind of greatness heaven sees as great. And whoever receives somebody like this receives me. He just said these words. And now they're gone ballistic with the moms and dads saying, please, Jesus, please, Jesus, please, Jesus. And, and why are moms and dads going ballistic? Wouldn't you? Oh, my word. Parents, you know the love you have for your babies, right? Can you imagine having somebody who's claiming to be God and proving it with evidence the same hands that touch a 12-year-old girl who died and raised her up by saying Talitha Kumi, which means in Aramaic, little girl, arise. Blind people, deaf people, lepers, the hand touches and the miraculous happens. The moms and dads see that? They've got a baby, they're like, just touch them. You don't have to say, you don't have to say anything. Just touch him and bless him. Can you imagine the hand of God touching their head and praying, God praying for them? And let me just say this to you who are just, whoa, I wish that could happen to me. Oh, he has touched more than just your forehead. He has knit his spirit to yours, raised you up and sat you in in, in heavenly places already. He's given you a new name. Those hands have been very busy in your heart and life. The hands of God. But they, they want those hands to touch and uh, get a hold of their kids. And so he says, don't, don't hinder them from that. Don't hinder the babies. Don't keep them from me even when you don't know that you're doing it, like not bringing them to church and alike. Or saying you're Christians and only being a Christian on Sunday and then not living the Christian life in their presence. Everybody compromises at home to some degree. We're relaxed in our homes and we don't always do the right thing. But there better be some semblance of a real Christian faith or you have hindered them. Because uh, who wants that? A fake gospel, right? So we don't want to hinder. We want to do everything humanly possible uh, to push them close so that uh, they can come to him. Now, I want to uh, broaden the application because we find out a couple chapters ago when he's saying these little kids, these little ones, suddenly he's talking about adult Christians. And suddenly the little ones, the insignificant ones, are adult Christians who have been shunned, or people in general who are, have been marginalized and are the down and out people, the socially awkward people. He says, let them come to me as well. Do not hinder any little one. Yes, we got the kids part. 
but it also uh, kind of blooms into this beautiful picture of, like children, these dependent, downcast, reject, unpopular. You know what, folks? Listen to me. Remember in high school, there was a cool kid's table? Maybe you were at that table where everybody thought, we're the most beautiful, we're the most popular, we're the ones on the football team, we're the cheerleaders, and all of that, right? And if their attitudes was all about them and keeping people out, God's favor, God's favor was not on that table. God's favor instead was on the table with the losers, the geeks, the geeks who were hurting and had troubled homes and and felt isolated and they're grieving and, and they're lost and they're drowning. That's where Jesus went. And no one could understand. Why do you always hang out with the down and outers? The prostitutes and the tax collectors are your friends. What's wrong with you? And he said, well, I'm the friend of sinners. That's who I came for. Doctors minister to sick people. They don't minister to healthy people. And so I'm the great physician. I come looking for those like children who understand their humble state of needing help or they can't live. That's why we always go back to like children. Children, he says, the kingdom of heaven, the only kinds of people you find in heaven are those who got to the loser's table. And that didn't save them. It just made them say, hey, I'm hurting. And then they heard the gospel. Hey, God loves you, man. He'll never forsake you. Oh, the world, your mother and father may turn their backs on you, but there's a God who made you, who loves you. He sent Christ. And, and the ones at the loser table, they're all ears, usually. Or they're more open than when going to the cool kid table. Hey, let me tell you about a God who loves you. Go away, loser. They don't, we got everything we need. Everybody applauds us. Everybody wants to be like us. We're cool. We're popular. We get out of bed. Everybody's liking our posts. We've got a thousand followers. We don't need God. A right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I know. You've got a thinking face on. Now, listen. So wrap up here with an example of what he means. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people who get it. That my helplessness is not always a liability. It's an asset. For example, let me tell you. When you know that you got to have help, like a kid, let's pick on my four-year-old grandson, Xander. Okay? Uh, I like to take him to Scandia and In-N-Out. I call it the Scandia and In-N-Out package. All right. (laughs) We go to Scandia, we play a little golf, and then we go to In-N-Out. And he says how much he yikes it, okay? (laughs) Because for some reason, the L's have turned to Y's. And it's been like that since he was three. All right. And so let's picture this. Let's go to Scandia with Xander, a four-year-old. Okay. Let's go outside your house, man. When I picked him up, we go outside in the front yard. Let's go. Let's go. How are we going to get there? Let's go, man. Well, you want to go to Scandia? Let's go. Grandpa, and that's how he says it to <laughs> Paul, you know, Grandpa, you have to drive me there. Oh, okay. Okay. Get in. Okay. Let's get out. Hey, get out of your car seat. Now he can get out of his car seat on his own. Uh, but, you know, if you want to go onto the blaster boats, yeah, let's do it. Okay, it costs $7. Let's do it. Grandpa, 
you got to pay for me. Okay, well, well, first, I know how to drive you here. I know how to help you out of the car. And I know how, how to keep my eye on you all the way in here. Now i got to pay for you. Right, yeah. And not only that, Grandpa, you have to lift me up and put me in the seat in the blaster boat, right? Or I can't go in without you. There's a big sign, Grandpa. Okay? Yeah. So I think you're getting it. I could go on. <laughs> Do you want to go home? I'll make you mac and cheese. Grandma's waiting, and we could, you know, make some mac and cheese. So he's there. Let's make the mac and cheese. Okay, it's your turn. Here's the box, kid. Here you go. Grandpa, you have to make it for me. I have to drive you there. I have to take you out of the car. I have to pay for you. I have to do everything. Jesus is saying, that's it. That's what gets you in. Where you come to the table and go, I know, this is it. I could tell Xander, Xander, I got this gift. Oh, I don't know how to tell you about this. It's beyond your wildest imagination. It goes beyond your biggest dream. It'll change your forever. You will live forever. You'll have all your sins wiped out. You'll know the love of God. You'll have eternal life. It's on the top shelf, though. It's right up there. Just go get it. Grandpa. (laughs) Grandpa. You're going to have to give it to me, take it, and bring it down to me because I can't get there or you can pick me up. But Grandpa, I want the gift, but there's nothing I can do without you, Grandpa. And when you get to that place, Jesus says, oh, the blessing of being in need, the blessing. Now, I want you to start thinking, come on, about your own sense of, oh, I've got so many weaknesses. I've got so many areas of brokenness. I've got this struggle here. And the Bible's constantly saying that will put you in a pretty blessed place. Paul the Apostle says, you know what? I've changed my attitude about weakness, sickness, insults persecution. He says, you know what? I delight in them. And you know why I do? Even though they're painful and awkward and difficult. He delights in them by faith because he knows Christ's power rests on him. That's quoting 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Got it. I don't want to make sure I'm not leading you astray. You look it up, you're like, whatever, you know. (laughs) This is what it is. It's a humbling place to be, but it's blessed, right? So let's let us remember that. And and remember that, you know, Jesus is looking out there and saying, Let these kinds of people come to me. Don't turn them away. When poor people come with dirty clothes, James chapter 2, you don't say to him, oh, you, uh, you can sit on the floor, you know? And then when the rich guy comes, James chapter 2, into the church, and you ooh and all, and you want to take him to lunch, and you give him a seat by up in front with everybody, yeah, he says, that's evil. No, let the little ones, the insignificant, the hurting, the marginalized. Let them come to me. Don't enter them. A new way to think about our own weakness, a new way to think about others' insignificance, the new way to stop fawning and envying everybody who seems to have it all together. It's actually, that's a hardship. It can be. 
Let's pray together. Father God, we know you've blessed a lot of people. A lot of rich people in the Bible did a lot of good. We know there's nothing wrong with success, God, that you give us success. We just don't want to be stumbled by it, God. We don't want to be lulled into some deceptive place, Jesus. Please help us to remember that we need you like the air we breathe. Uh, We need you desperately. Help us not to learn that the hard way, but to just come to you every day looking for our daily necessities, the grace to be more like Jesus, the wisdom to solve our problems. Let us be searching and seeking and be diligent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.